Creating great products isn't just about product managers and their day-to-day interactions with developers. It's about how an organization supports products as a whole, the systems, the processes, and cultures in place that help companies deliver value to their customers. With the help of some boundary-pushing guests and inspiration from your most pressing product questions, we'll dive into this system from every angle and help you think like a great product leader. This is the Product Thinking Podcast. Here's your host, Melissa Perry. Welcome, Jeff. It's great to have you on the podcast today. I am super happy to be here. You and I have talked a lot. It's nice to talk formally now. I know. I'm excited about this discussion, too, because we're going to be talking all about agile development today. And it's something we're both passionate about. And you have been such a resource for me to understand the history and what's going wrong. And I'm so excited that everybody else gets to hear it, too. Happy to talk about it. Great. So for the people who don't know you as well as I know you, can you please introduce yourself? I am Jeff Patton. I am old. I've been building software since the... Like 1989, I think it was building websites. And actually, even before that, I was doing something. I think my claim to fame is accidentally being first in a lot of places. In the year 2000, I started at a startup that was practicing this cool new process called extreme programming. They'd hired this guy named Kent Beck, who wrote this book on it, to come in and help the company. And my job title at that company, or at least my business card, said product manager. That makes me one of the first agile product managers. Well, we found out in 2001 that what we were doing was called agile development because the Agile Manifesto was written. And look, I learned a lot of stuff about how to do this. I went back to my product management job at the the company I used to work for, which is now Salesforce Commerce Cloud today. But back then, we were just a small couple hundred person company. I went back, did this agile stuff, worked for consultancy for a long time and been building on top of Agile development for a very long time. And I'm known for the story mapping stuff. Story mapping for anyone who knows anything about user experience stuff, it's journey mapping, but kind of adapted to help you do planning stuff. Which is a great book. Yeah. Awesome. Also an O'Reilly author. I'm surprised. I I read the book and I think, God, was I that smart? (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised. It was a... A labor of love too, as you as you know, and I know writing a book is not easy. So that's quite an accomplishment. Stands the test of time too. Yeah. So I remember we were in Utah last year on our little ski trip. Oh my God, was it last year? Yeah, right before COVID hit. That's You were like one of the last people I saw, I think, before. Right. It would have been January of 2020. Yeah, yeah, before lockdown happened. And then we played a game of how did you meet Jeff? So (laughs) you were not happy about that. You were like, I hate talking about this stuff. But we did meet at the Mind the Product Conference. And I remember Martin Erickson came over and he was like, oh, have you met Jeff Patton? And I was like, no. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, it's like one of my idols. I'm so nervous to meet Jeff. I want to. I want to go do that. And then we went, I went over and you're eating breakfast and I ate breakfast with you. And you were like, you want to hang out? Do you want to go to a show or something later? And I was like, sure. And we were both in London for two weeks. So that was a pretty great great introduction. And since then, I, I've enjoyed our conversations. It, it always surprises me that I'm famous anywhere. I've never been famous around my own house. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was so excited to meet you. And, and at that time, too, I was on this quest to understand Agile. So for me, I had been training all these teams. I talk about this a lot in my book, too. But I didn't come to Agile from like a traditional, here, here's Scrum, go to a Scrum training type thing, or our organization is just going to learn Scrum world. Like we were just kind of failing in our team. And one of the guys was like, 
let's try this thing called Agile and taught us a very loose framework to try to work better together. Like we just weren't communicating. The developers and I weren't getting along. We weren't breaking down our work. We were just having a really big struggle of how to work together. So then when I ended up in this, you know, kind of more traditional agile world or the agile manifesto world that we know, I was really shocked when I went to these organizations to teach them product management. And then everybody kept arguing with me that <laughs> that was not in their, their job as a product owner. Like this, they learned this thing about agile and the product owners manage the backlogs and then they manage the developers and then they put them, they ship everything and they, they monitor it and then they iterate on it. And half the time they didn't iterate either, which I always thought was interesting. But I, I kept going, everybody kept telling me, you're wrong, Melissa. Like, this is not what product management is. This is how they describe it in Agile. So I went on this whole quest to talk to people who knew Agile and who were there when it was being developed to understand like where this came from. And that's why I got really excited to talk to you because I was like, how did we get here, right? Like, how did it end up like this? I don't see people doing great product management and that's what I want to talk to you about today, because like you saw it from the beginning, right? Like you were early in the agile phase. So what what did it look like then? The I think the thing to take into account is some people have never been here when we talk about product thinking and what we mean by product organization. And that's where agile development came from, was someplace where there wasn't product thinking. And so this First off, it took me years to understand even what that was or what that felt like. Let me see if I can explain it. I started at a small product company in the late 1980s. I was always in a product company. I was always in a product company up until about 2005. By product company, I mean we built and sold software as a product. The thing that we sold was what made our company money. And we knew that we were successful, not when things were finished on time or not when we delivered more software faster. We were successful when we were successful. But when... We sold more of the stuff and our customers were happy. We, we knew that. It wasn't until I started working, I worked for a consultancy called ThoughtWorks for a long time. It wasn't until I got there and started working with really large hospital groups, banks, insurance companies that I saw people didn't, people were not product centric. Now, so if I rewind back, agile development for me, when I first found it was freaking awesome because I already had my product head screwed on straight. I already knew what mattered and agile development gave me kind of a night working in short cycles and, and predicting in short cycles kind of makes us a lot more reliable, pushing the collaboration in, making sure that we are collaborating as a team more often. All of that stuff was, was awesome. It, it made things better. But I didn't start feeling the tension that you were describing until I, I started going into what felt like kind of traditional IT, IT places. Yes. So what were those IT places like and what were they doing differently than what you were doing originally? So let me tell you, this is, somebody may have already heard me deliver talks about this before, but I'll start a talk by asking what makes a product great? And people will say all kinds of things like it's easy to use, it's fun, it solves a problem, it makes money for our company, all kinds of things like that. And I'll point out, I'll write a bunch of things down. I'll point out to people that nobody said finished on time because nobody says, I love this product because it was finished on time. And I'll point out that all the things you're describing are outcomes. These are things that happen after the software comes out. They're not what you did. They're what your customers and users did. I'll say what they do, say, and think. That's, that's where the outcomes come from. Then I'll change the subject. And I'll say, look, I, there's another kind of product you should be aware of. I'll use whatever's going on in my house lately. I've had somebody, a landscaper, redoing landscaping in my backyard and 
Park City, where I live, and uh, said, oh, well, if you're going to hire a landscaper, what makes a landscaper great? And they will say things like, uh, they're a good communicator, they've got a good reputation, they can uh, translate my needs into uh, a you know, better vision than I could. They show up, they're cost effective, and they finish on time. And then when I look at those two things, I'll say, which are your teams evaluated based on? And they'll quickly say, oh, we're not evaluating on these product qualities. We're, we're like landscapers. We do that. Landscaping is a business. It's, it's a product. But the product is selling custom work. And what the anti-pattern baked into lots of most organizations is that we use IT as a custom development shop inside our organization. The business is the customer. And IT is the vendor, more or less. And everything that IT is asked to do is custom, like my landscaping in my backyard. And the traditional processes tend to evaluate success based upon custom development success. All those things I said, finishing on time, being good communicators, things like that. And you have to be aware that that's the place that agile development was written from. That the people who wrote agile development were trying to clean up this nasty kind of tension between the business organization and IT. Uh, my friend Alistair Coburn, which was a local, one of the manifesto signers and was a local person, said that, yeah, Agile was written to deal with hostile work environments. And it solved a lot of problems, but it is not based around a technology product model. It's based around a service product model, not, not service like a Spotify or bank account, but service like a custom development service account. And that's why well, it's not important to know what the customer wants. If you go back and reread the Agile Manifesto, and stop me if I'm droning on too long here, you know, one of the big value things is customer collaboration over contract negotiation. That's exactly the kind of thing I want out of my landscaper. It's definitely not the thing I expect out of Spotify or Atlassian. I'm, expecting, I'm not collaborating with Atlassian for anything. I want to buy the product. I want it to work. If you look at Agile principles, the very first one is... I got it. Our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. Do you know the seventh principle? Do you have that? No. Well, now I got to go count. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Working software is a primary measure of progress. Yup. Doesn't that sound like it's written from somebody who, whose business is building software for customers? Yes, it does. And it doesn't sound like somebody whose business is to build a software product and where the outcomes are product success not continuous delivery of working software. Um, uh, nobody says I love Spotify because they continuously deliver more features or more working software. That, again, that's not, it's not product success. It is service provider success, specifically custom development service. That, so that's the mindset that Agile comes with. That's why it, you know, when you look at the, the process that my, when you look at the process that my landscaper goes through, we discuss things. We agree on requirements. He gives me an estimate. We negotiate over that estimate and jostle around. I'm focused on trying to get as much as I can for my money. We finally agree. He does the work. He focuses on time, cost, and scope. There's predictable problems arise. We renegotiate and change estimates. And then he finally gives back a delivery. That flow of requirements to delivery, that's a project management flow. That's the, the customer experience for a service product provider. But, but we think of it as our process. But it's, but yeah, that's, it, look, if you were saying, look, I want to start a, a business remodeling kitchens, and you were to map the journey of your customer's experience, it's going to look like that. That's yeah. The way, and that's what agile development is optimized for. I think I lost the plot. 
No, I think that's totally true. I remember when you told me that, like my mind was blown. I was like, yes, that makes a whole lot more sense now. And I, I had never heard before like that most of the, you know, most of the people who wrote the Agile Manifesto were one, developers, which I think is interesting that we should get into. And two, they're all working for larger companies in the IT organization. And I was well, like that. Most of them were consultants. Most of them really yes, hired to build software. So when mm-hmm. they say the customer, they really, they really was their customer. Yeah, yeah. They were really hard hired by a bank or a big insurance company. And yeah, they were trying to uh, yeah, service that customer. It really was their customer. So whenever you see customer user in the business in the manifesto, it's again, it's from the perspective of being on the service provider side of that model. I think it's so funny because I've said that in a couple of my talks and I've gotten so much hate from it. <laughs> like oh, I've, had, really? I've had some people be like, no, it's not. That's not what they mean. And I was like, did you talk to the people who wrote this? Because I did. <laughs> it is freaking so what they meant. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I've, I've met every single one of them over time. Talked, uh, you know, the, the local manifesto was written in Utah where I'm from, partly because the two of the signatories of the manifesto were Jim Highsmith and Alistair Coburn, and they had to plan a workshop. So Jim and Alistair said, let's do it here. And that's it. That's why it's here. But, it, but they were close by. And Do you know the name Ward Cunningham? Yeah. And yeah. So I was working at the years ago at the company in Portland where Ward at the time was the, the CTO. And uh, he had brought me in to focus on this product stuff. Ward was super clear that what you're doing is not agile development. It's past that. It's something more. And uh, I had a lot of back and forth with Ward. I said, should we give it a name? Is it something different? And he said, well, I don't think it's quite ready uh, for a name. It's, uh, it hasn't uh, baked quite yet. That's what Ward said years ago. But look, again, as one of the creators of the manifesto, he was clear. This is not what we're talking about here is not what agile development was. That's really interesting. So yeah, I've heard you use the term post-agile a couple of times about that. I don't know if you really like that word or not, but. And uh, if it catches on, I like. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'll, I'll bring that. <laughs> That's how so, I've known for story mapping because the term caught on. Uh, so. Yeah. So what did Ward mean when he was talking about like what was not agile development? Like what were the characters of what you were doing or what people do now? That's not what he meant by agile development. So uh, I've spent a lot of time pondering that. I can't say that Ward was able to clearly articulate it other than that this was something different. Uh, there's a long backstory behind Ward and and Lean UX, uh, a word interesting come about. So that's another history story I'll t- I could tell you too. But look, I've focused in, the, the big difference for me is understanding what a product outcome is. And again, outcomes aren't measured by customers saying, I give my approval, that's great, or stakeholders saying that. Outcome is measured by whether, you know, where the customers and users see it, try it, use it, keep using it, and say good things. Or acquisition, activation, retention, referral. Those are the more syllables way to say that. That's, uh, we measure those kinds of outcomes. If that's missing, any recognition of that, any discussion of that is missing in agile development. And then the acknowledgement that predicting what your customers want and will do is hard. Again, we're not in a service environment. We can't just ask them what you want and give them what they want. You know, my landscaper can do that with me. Incidentally, my landscaper, if I put crap in my backyard that I never use, it's not my landscaper's problem. It's my problem because I'm the one that said I wanted it. Now, if we acknowledge that we can't predict our user's behavior, then we start to realize that building potentially sippable software, working software, isn't our highest priority. It's figuring out what people actually want. And 
that causes discovery work to be part of your process. This work we do to understand our customers, to prototype and test possible solutions and, and things like that. So those are the big things that are missing out of agile development is recognition of outcomes and recognition, recognition that outcomes are not certain and doing discovery work. Yeah. And that seems more like what we talk about in, you know, product and UX work is how do we make sure that we are oriented towards outcomes for the customers? How do we make sure they're going to actually use it? And that does get completely left out, though, in all of the agile training that I've seen. And I think people are weaving it in now. And your training is very good. I've seen it. But how did we get then to this product owner role, right, where we go through this scrum training, which is like transactional managed backlog? and then start working with developers to ship software repeatedly. Like, how did product like morph into that, into this world? Like, how did Agile and the manifesto morph into that? First off, the word product is in the Agile manifesto at all. The, the, the product owner, actually, uh, I told you, I started with this process called extreme programming. My business card said product manager, but in XP, I was called the customer. Again, this huge tell. I was the customer. In XP, we call this the customer role. But Scrum called this the product owner role. So I have a hunch. I have a belief that this is where it came from. That's a, one more history lesson here. You know where Scrum got its name? Did you ever, anybody ever no. you on that? There is an old Harvard Business Review article written in 1986 by two Japanese authors, Takeuchi and Nonaka. And I'm sure I'm mispronouncing some of those, a couple of those, both those Japanese names. The paper was written in 1986, and the paper was called The New, New Product Development Game. Now, they were talking about new product development, which in 1980, what the paper is about is cars, cameras, computers, printers, fax machines, stuff like that, things that are hardware products. And the paper points out that people working on new product development, that's what they meant, developing a new camera, work together. The, the most effective teams work together in cross-functional teams. All the phases overlap. The teams are self-organizing. And they said, that, and they explained that the most effective teams work in this way that looks very chaotic from the outside, but inside there's some order to it. And they said, it's a lot more like the sport of rugby, where we're trying to move the, move the ball down the field together. It's not like baseball where everybody has their position or their clear role and, a clear role and responsibility. It's more of a, a mess. Yes, there are roles and responsibilities on a sports team, but they're not, they're fluid. They change in the moment. And we know what winning the game means. It's at one point in this paper that they, there's a little section called moving the scrum downfield. And this is where scrum as a process gets its name. But uh, I believe this is where scrum borrows the idea of product and product mm. also. The irony about that paper, if you read it closely, is it is all about product discovery. Because you huh. do not develop a camera by saying, I'm going to build a backlog and every two weeks I'm going to build part of a potentially shippable camera. No, that's not the way it works. That's nuts. It's about prototyping and experimenting and spending time with customers. And if you, uh, you know, highlight the crap out of that paper, you're going to find it's about discovery work. That's, that's what it's about. That's what product development actually is. So, anyway, so why product owner? I think it's because that paper exists. Because Ken Schwaver and Jeff Sutherland, that created Scrum, wanted to acknowledge as a product, but I just, again, if you don't really separate that idea of IT as a service from building products, you get confused about what your product is. Or And if those people called product owners think their product is a service, well, maybe <laughs> they're doing the right thing. When you're doing IT as a service and the service is the product, it looks a lot more like project management. 
So not surprising that it is. <laughs> that, that, that's yeah. it. So that's, that's what you see. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's where the product owner came from. So then how did all these companies start to expect that product owner is the role of product management? And like, what are they doing wrong there? It's a good name. It makes it sound like, hey, we have products and there's someone that will take responsibility uh, for it. So that, that sounds like a good name. I've heard a lot of big successful companies use that term. A lot of companies that are very product centric use that term. It's just the, the problem isn't with the term or the role name. The problem is what the organization recognizes as its product or as its products. It's how the organization views IT. Do they view IT as a service? Or do they view IT as the people who builds the products that they sell? Does IT or does do does the business view themselves as a customer, or do they view themselves as a partner? We're co-creators; we work together. Don't see that as a problem in companies that build software for a living. You do see that. Well, you don't see that as a problem in a lot of companies that build software for a living, but not all of them. And you definitely see that as a huge problem in any company where software isn't their primary product or isn't their end product, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, I do see it mostly in the larger enterprises that I've worked with, ones that, you know, as you said, were the IT departments were common. And now they're like, oh, we want to, you know, start to be more product centric. We want to be more user centric. We're going to create a software department that's a little bit more connected, but I still, I see them gravitate towards agile, probably because it's just as comfortable for them as the IT was, because it's all project related. And it, it does push it. There's the foundation you get from agile is working in short cycles, stopping and measuring and reflecting. And there is absolutely do not ever, don't not break down your work into small pieces. Don't not stop and reflect. Don't not measure. Don't. Uh, of course, it's a good idea to to stand up and plan and replan every day. There's nothing wrong. It's just this weird posture that's baked in agile development. And so we have to overlay some other principles on top of it. So one of the things I got asked to do by a company is you know, I do this complaining thing a lot. And uh, one of the companies I work with asked me to put my money where my mouth is and said, you know, I'll say that the problem with agile training is people take this and then we have to come back in and fix it change what people think. And I said, well, good. we've got people that need to be trained on agile development. What would it look like if we trained it in a way that we didn't have to go back in and fix it? Which alerted me to the fact that I'm better at complaining than I am solving problems. But I, <laughs> but, but I have put together a class that actually works, uh, a class that is has all that core agile development stuff, all the stuff that's good about agile development, but then overlays the acknowledgement of what an outcome actually is, acknowledgement of who our customers and users actually are, and acknowledgement that in a sprint, uh, you might have discovery work and delivery work, or that thing that gets called dual track development, where we're doing discovery and delivery in the same thing. It, one of the exercises, the first day of the class, I want them to understand the Agile Foundation. Second day of the class, and it's a post-COVID class, so it's run out over several days. The second day of the class, we'll talk about product centricity, and then I will have them pick up the manifesto again, because we use it the first day, and then redline it. Tell me all the values and principles that no longer make sense to you now that you understand what a product is. And I'm surprised how many uh, things people say, no, that's not quite right. Yeah. Uh, it's a, you know, my aspiration with the class is people come out of it saying, okay, how to lose all that, or at least not originally all that. Yeah. What do you think are the biggest ones in the Agile Manifesto that they typically say, no, this isn't relevant to uh, us anymore? Yeah. That, well, the... 
the three that we just talked about, the customer mm-hmm. collaboration over contract negotiation, the highest priority is to deliver working software continuously, valuable working software continuously, that working software is the primary measure of progress, because in product world outcomes are the primary measure of product progress. There are things like uh, business people and IT working together every day that starts to get questionable. One of the things I'm sure you worry about is this us and them language that springs yeah. up. Yeah, I bristle when people say the, the business and I tell them, from now on, can you just say our business? Say our business and then see how that sentence comes back out. See how it takes the themness out of that. So yeah, those are the big ones. But I was surprised at how many, I almost need to pull back the exercise in the Miro board that I have and see which ones they put dots on. But I can't see the others. I'm looking at the, the thing here. But. Yeah, those are good ones. I, I always Those always felt a little weird to me. It's just like, we're going to measure success by working software. And that that's what I just saw. Like I see so many organizations learn Agile. They go through their product owner training. Everybody's like put into their place. It's usually a lot of people who've never done product management before. A lot of leaders put into like oversee the product managers who've never done product before. And then they just start shipping a bunch of stuff and it never stops, right? It just, it just yeah. keeps going. And it makes perfect sense why they do. It's the first yes. freaking principle. That's what you're <laughs> supposed to do. <laughs> it's what they teach them, yeah. Yeah, that's what they teach them. Uh, there's nowhere in the manifesto that said we should stop and actually measure the outcomes. There's nowhere in the manifesto that says we should expose risk and, and, and create tests to test our ideas before investing in shippable software. Not, not in there. Yeah. So why do you think this became so big, right? Like how did all these organizations start gravitating towards agile and be like, this is the thing that's going to solve all of our problems? Because most organizations really do use that IT as a service, what I refer to as an anti-pattern. And because agile is a hell of a lot better than what we were doing before. It is an awesome solution to a, a big problem that most organizations have. Now, let me give me one more. We, we, you and I talk about products a lot, but we don't really talk about products. Uh, we, uh, we talk about technology products and we don't really talk about technology products. We talk about 21st century, uh, post 2005 to 2008 technology products, because back in the good old days, software products were put into boxes and they were shipped on floppies and CDs and DVDs and you took it home and you installed it and if it didn't work, there was no freaking internet to download a patch. Uh, there was no way to continuously upgrade it. It had to be right out of the box. That's the way a toaster oven has to be. That's the way a refrigerator has to be. That's the way toothpaste has to be. Those are traditional products. The technology products, post, post iPhone, post ubiquitous internet, post internet of things, post everybody has multiple computers in their, on their wrist, on their, in their pockets and things like that. Those are products that continuously change and evolve. If Look, I have a toaster oven and it's been the same way for the, if I bought a brand new one today, it would look exactly like the one I bought six years ago. But if Spotify looked the same way today as it did six years ago, that would be a problem. If any contemporary technology product looked the same as it did a year ago, that starts to be a problem. It starts to smell like they're just not keeping up. Traditional products have that traditional cycle of, they would say, explore, exploit, sustain, retire. But the goal, a technology product can be in sustain mode almost indefinitely because it continuously changes. We can keep it alive by continuously evolving it. 
So when we talk about product management, that's the kind of product management we're talking about. It's not the, the same one that you would learn. Look, you teach for Harvard Business School and mm-hmm. they teach more traditional product management there. Does, well, I should be asking you this. Do you have to help them make that distinction between what, we, what we're talking about? Did you know I have a course for product managers that you could take? It's called Product Institute. Over the past seven years, I've been working with individuals, teams, and companies to upskill their product chops through my fully online school. We have an ever-growing list of courses to help you work through your current product dilemma. Visit productinstitute.com and learn to think like a great product manager. Use code THINKING to save $200 at checkout on our premier course, Product Management Foundations. No, they, I, I think they've come to realize that those are not the things that we typically manage today. So most of, most of Harvard's curriculum, which is great, is more towards SaaS-based startups. But we do have some like physical goods. There are definitely people, there was somebody in my class who just did, for example, like a women's custom fashion brand where she was making custom blazers for people. So she's got to do the whole, she's got to manage the actual product. And then she's got to manage her actual software product to sell that thing. Yeah. Exactly. And, you, you know, she's going to find the software product changes continuously, changes a lot faster than the blazer she's designed. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, she saw that during the semester. Out of, out of curiosity, how often does she redesign those blazers? She did a big upfront design process, testing it out, seeing what was happening. And then she's partnered with a, um, a manufacturing place to, to put it out there. So I think she's got some samples coming in now, which she's going to test with more users and see how that goes before she launches everything. She's not going to try and iterate the blazer or something in the market? I don't know. That's a, it's a good question. Our class is only focused on the software part of that. But so yeah. I don't know much about what she's got in store for the product part, the actual blazer part of it. But it'll be interesting to see. There was, uh, you know, when we talk about clothing, uh, there was a, a movement to, oh gosh, I worked with Nike many years ago. And for the clothing people, the development cycle for clothing is, I believe, 18 months. Meaning... Wow. This summer, I'm working. I'm working on design for clothing that will be for winter season next year. Not this year's winter, but the next year's winter. So it's, it's a long cycle to get things done. But they were trying to say, okay, how can we reduce the cycle time of this? How can we go from idea to something that gets into stores in months, not not eighteen months, not over a year? Now, the reason I'm kind of going to this is software product management learned from traditional product management. Mm-hmm. And now software product management is informing traditional product management. Yeah, that makes sense. Idea faster cycles and things like that is part of it. So I think if I were to answer why is this, why are you and I in business right now? It's because of that stupid digital transformation thing. <laughs> uh, digital transformation isn't up the IT budgets and sprinkle software and everything. Digital transformation is organizations waking up to the fact that, hey, we are now a technology company. It used to be a bank, but now it's impossible to be a, be a bank without delivering everything we do over technology. Uh, it's impossible to be a bank, insurance company, retailer, any of these traditional organizations where their end products were things like a retail experience or an insurance policy or a banking account are waking up to the fact that we are technology companies now. And this way of working has to uh, kind of can feed forward into our products. And we have to work this way to make successful products inside. Yeah. And that's what makes me so scared about the way that larger enterprises are adopting the Agile manifesto and and Agile, right? You see it everywhere now where it's like, we're going to be an Agile company. We're going to have Agile HR. We're going to have Agile, like everything. And I never see them. I, I do so many, just like you, like I do so many 
trainings with leadership and with product managers in these larger companies. And never once have they approached me and said, we are trying to reevaluate our entire product strategy across the organization and figure out how do we integrate technology into our products. Instead, it's always, how do I train all these product owners down here to manage a backlog better, right? It's never, how do we take these existing products like the credit card and figure out, you know, how to make it a more of a technology product, right? Like how do we integrate technology into that concept and how do we change our strategy with technology? I need to tell a credit card story. You travel a lot like I do. You had situations where your credit card got stolen or somebody, your credit card was used fraudulently and the credit card company calls you and says something's wrong here. And then they cancel your card and they send you a new one. With my Apple card, this happened to me two days ago. First, I get text messages right away or I see it pop up on the notifications on my phone that these two charges came through. Did you do these charges? No, I did not do these charges. And so they immediately shut it down. I call them up and... They say, we want to reissue the card. And I'm thinking, I don't want to reissue it because I don't want to be without a card for a while. They said, no, we're just, we're just going to change the number on the card. There's no number on your Apple credit. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't have an Apple card. Yeah. I'm going to bring it up. You, uh, people, uh, oh, listening. cool. Yeah, there's no number on it. And that's the back of the card. There's oh. no number on it. And look, if uh, you're a credit card company, you say, hey, what would it be like if we were a technology company? Why do we need those numbers? They used a chip anyway. Wow. We associate that chip with any number. And so they just changed the number. And my credit card never stopped working. That's amazing. It's just for me. Again, that's what happens when a traditional product company starts thinking like a technology product company. And to, to your point, organizations are coming to you and saying, how can we recognize our products are or can be technology products? How can that affect our product strategy? Yeah. And for Apple, it certainly affected their product strategy. Yeah, that's amazing. Like you do see these products coming out of, you know, larger companies, Google, Apple, right? Ones that started as a product company just kind of blow things out of the water. And I always think it's fascinating too, because you don't go to Google and they're all like, oh, we do Scrum. <laughs> like nobody, nobody at Google and Apple does Scrum. Like I'm sure maybe some teams have adopted it in a loose way, but. They do and they will say, but mm-hmm. they realize that. And then again, if I go back to my origin story, yeah, I used all that agile stuff. I came, but I knew the purpose. What we're doing here is creating products. I I never once, I just was thinking, okay, agile development is for the development part. It isn't for the whole product part. So I I just, I learned agile development and it sped up delivery. It wasn't all that. It wasn't everything. Uh, And maybe the way it is at Google too. They're going to let Yeah, exactly. They don't forget they're building products. Yeah. And that's how I learned it too. Like I had learned like a very traditional waterfall method of product management. And then I learned agile and, you know, I did have to sit there and like think through requirements, but I had to think through the persona. I had to build those like MRDs and those PRDs. And it made me really go through what are we building and why, right? Before I got into the logistics of actually writing out those spec docs and handing them over to the engineers. And I'll be not the best way to work, but like I didn't lose that whole discovery process when we started to move towards Scrum, right? In the in the startup that I went to. Instead, I just got better at chunking things down into smaller pieces, releasing them, testing them, and then, you know, using that to inform and iterate it. Like I got better at doing smaller things, but still yeah. keeping that higher level view of the product vision of where we were going. And that's, that's nothing bad about that. That's awesome. Uh, and the, the idea of working in smaller things again uh, gosh years ago i used to kind of give a talk that we don't invent processes 
our products force us to change our process. The fact that technology can change so quickly has forced, has forced us to use processes that allow for us to change quickly. And that old research, uh, that MRD research, PRD the process doesn't work anymore, not with contemporary technology products. So it's the, the process we have to use today for technology products changed because the technology underneath them changed. If we were still shipping CDs in boxes, maybe that process would still work. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I worked for a company actually like two years ago, a client that actually did ship things on CDs still because they hadn't figured out how to migrate it over into the SaaS-based environment yet. And they had a whole a whole room in their basement that was just a CD printer where they were like burning CDs and shipping them out to customers still. And I was like, wow. <laughs> what I see is that Go back to, I was telling you, I'll ask people what makes a product great, and they say all these things. And then I'll later, one of the other tricks I'll do is later also, let's talk about all these uh, technology products, what makes them different, uh, these current technology products, and what makes them great. And then we start adding to that list. Uh, it, it updates, it changes frequently, it adapts to my need. We look at all those things that motivate or make a, a traditional product, technology product better, Look, those are things you couldn't get before. It's the changes in technology that, are, that afford it. And the company you were just talking about, if they have competitors, especially a competitor that starts today, a competitor is not going to start by printing and saying, cow, we got to have a place in the basement to print CDs. Definitely not. And they're going to end up with a product company that can iterate and respond to change a lot faster. And you know, mm-hmm. at responding to change that's uh, a great Agile principle. It's a great value out of the, the Agile manifesto. Nothing wrong with that. And that's what we expect out of products today is to respond to changes in the world or the market. Yeah, I, I think that one has always resonated with me a little bit more than some of the other stuff on here. What's next, right? What should organizations, you know, they, they looked at Agile, like what should they be doing? What should they be striving for? One thing like when we're talking about Agile, I, I should, let me give a, because I know I'm old enough, I, when I was just starting around about this, just starting with this stuff, I would get a lot of hate for controversial things I, I used to say. Now I say the same stuff, but I'm old. So people think, <laughs> you must be wise. <laughs> My beard went gray, it used to be red. <laughs> so anyway, all, all that made things different. So, but I'm sure that a lot of people are thinking, hey, but uh, thinking of things like, ah, he's kind of slamming this agile stuff. But one of the things I've also come to realize is when people say agile, they mean something different today than they did in 2001. First, the world wasn't in 2001. We were still shipping CDs. That's the way it was. There was barely internet and barely decent internet back then. I hear people saying agile development, and they are really thinking of outcomes. They really are thinking of discovery work. They really are thinking of lots of good things in there. And they really couldn't read or cite the manifesto to you because it's come to mean something else. Look, a long time ago, Christianity meant the Inquisition, and it does not today. so I struggle with it when you say, what's next? I don't know. I, uh, for years, I said, we've just got to scrub this term agile. It doesn't mean what you think it means. We need more. We need something else. But one of the things I'm starting to notice is the definition of what we mean by this is changing underneath us. It's just for the people who have evolved their definition, it doesn't mean what the manifesto says anymore. And I think what's next is that nobody wants to revise the manifesto issue amendments or something like that. To, I don't know. But I think what's next is Agile, the definition of Agile. Look, it's a, it's a sticky brand. And product thinking doesn't, product management doesn't have a, a sticky brand. I think what's next is 
the agile development is hopefully going to morph and get a little bit more sane. Yeah, know. I worry that agile's changed, but are we doing the same processes and the same practices, right? Like with all of these different trainings and stuff yeah. as we were back then. And that feels like that hasn't changed. Like it feels like we, we try to change it. Yeah. We try to add things on it, but we always start from a place that was this is what we did in 2001 and this is what we'll yeah. continue to teach. And then we go, oh, we need that other stuff too. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. That's got to change. They'll keep you informed. If I start look, I'm teaching this class for a big company in Australia, I taught a first pilot class a couple of weeks ago. I'll teach another one next week. What I'm striving for is teaching something that is what agile development should have been. Cool. Uh, but not, excuse me, not what, maybe not what it should have been in 2001, because maybe it was what it needed to be back then, but what it should be now. But I think we're a long way from that. I think for me, it boils down to the people still have an IT as a service provider mindset. And even when they start to get a product mindset, they still have a 20th century product mindset, not a 21st century product mindset. There's yeah. A couple shifts here that need to happen. Yeah, um, there's a lot. For the term paradigm shift before. Yeah. Yeah. That term, somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, comes from a book called The History of Scientific Revolution from a guy named Kuhn. And uh, one of the quotes from that book that always comes to mind is that change travels in a hearse. What he means by that is sometimes change doesn't happen until the old guard dies. Yeah, it's morbid, but it makes sense. <laughs> it's like... yeah. Sometimes it is just for people that have a different paradigm in their head, it's just hard to unstick that. Uh, mm -hmm. Hard to unstick that IT should be a service. You work with CIOs and even CIOs and companies who believe, yeah, that's what we're here to do, a service. We build what they say, efficient. So that's mentality's got to change. And then people have to adapt to what a product is today, versus what it was in 1995. Yeah, that makes sense. That's why, like, lately I've been trying to shift the way that I work to to kind of train, like, future leaders of product companies, because I think those are the ones that are going to have the most impact on the world in the future. And that's, like, why I started CPO Accelerator, because I just looked at, there's so many executives out there, there's so many current CPOs who are not really CPOs with that title. There's not enough really good CPOs in the world. And I'm like, if we're going to have a chance to work the way that, you know, we're describing, I think we need leaders in those positions who actually get it, right? Like they understand what product thinking is. They understand how to build 21st century products. All that to me, it starts like at the top, it starts with people. And I don't think if people change, anything's going to change. Kind of uh, the way you're talking, I just, I couldn't, I had to trying to remember of the, the, the lyrics to this. Uh, there's the uh, children are the future. So <laughs> I was ready to start playing that while you're talking. Yeah, it's up to when we're training people coming into this, we can train them with a, a different mindset. If they come into companies expecting different things, if a typical MBA comes out of Harvard Business School, recognizing that there's a different way we work with products today, that'll be a good thing. That's my job. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Do that. I'm do trying. <laughs> it's yeah, that's my mission there. So that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for being on the podcast. This has been really enlightening. I hope everybody is listening understands Agile a little bit more. If people want to follow your work, where can they connect with you? What can they read? I have fallen off, fallen out of the habit of writing very much, but you should go to my website is look Google Jeff Patton, uh, but the full website is jpattonassociates.com. 
look, I teach classes routinely. There's a schedule there. And one of these days, I will start writing again routinely. It will be on that website, but I just uh, have to clear away some cobwebs in my head. Yeah, there's so much piled up that I've got to write about. Yeah, that's where. Well, I hope you get a chance to do that soon. Thanks so much. All right, thank you.